0: From MPB Think Radio, it's Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Java Chapman here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, is out this week. So unfortunately, no pet questions. But we do have a wonderful guest today, our friend Chris Godwin, Mississippi State Director of the U.S. Department of Agriculture Wildlife Services. She's here to let us know how to legally and ethically deal with problems that arise when wildlife gets a little too close for comfort. You can join our conversation this morning by calling one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
0: And we're back. This is Preacher Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Java Chapman here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center here in Jackson, is out this week. So unfortunately, no pet questions. You can still send them and we'll try to get to them maybe next week uh, to our email, animals at mpbonline.org. But today we do have a wonderful guest, our friend Chris Godwin, Mississippi's state director at the U.S. Department of Agricultural Wildlife Services. She's here to let us know how to legally and ethically deal with problems that arise when wildlife get a little too close for comfort. So if you maybe have a problem with uh, one of our creature friends, you can uh, give us a call, 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. dot org. We will gladly take your questions also. Just want to remind you if you happen to miss miss Creature Comforts on Thursday or you have to run away from the radio this morning. You can always catch the repeat Saturday mornings at six P six AM. There we go. And wanna say good morning to you ladies. How you doing?
2: Good morning. Good morning.
0: All right, I feel honored. I'm here with two beautiful ladies. Uh, all to myself, um, Kevin Farrell is out. Also, Doctor Troy Major, like I said, is out this morning. So it's just me and my good friends Libby and Chris. And Libby, we've been missing you uh, for I've the past been couple you weeks.
2: Guys, I've listened. Yeah, you know that's the great thing about the MPB app. I oh can, yeah, I have to wake up earlier though. You know because it, it, there's the, time the two hours delay yeah. here. Yeah, so. Yeah, it was seven o'clock. Oh you yeah, yeah, because uh, in Oregon, yeah, 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 in the northwest, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was it was kind of fun to wake up and turn on the phone and get to hear you guys. Okay,
0: okay well that's a little plug for the app. You can always listen to us <laughs> wherever you are. Yes. Download that MPB Public Media app. It's in your app store right now. Absolutely free.
2: Don't lose your connection. <laughs> Every now and then, I could listen to the news and uh-huh. catch up on what was happening at home.
0: Oh yeah, the yeah. The
2: weather, everything.
0: Well, that's good. It keeps you connected to us mm-hmm. here in Mississippi. And Chris, how are you doing today?
2: I'm great. How are you?
0: Oh man, I'm 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 lovely. We've uh had you on the show before, I think um uh been about a year yep. since a we had you year, on. Probably. Yeah. So um real quick, give us a uh I guess a refresher course on your background.
3: Okay. Um I grew up in upstate New York and uh, moved to Mississippi for grad school back in 1989. I think it's been a long time now. I was
0: four years old. Yeah,
3: nice. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate
0: that. <laughs> I
3: was already director of the museum. She was.
2: <laughs> what a I met young Chris. Yeah, That's right.
3: <laughs> uh, let's date ourselves today. Yeah. Um, yeah, finished grad school, went to work for the Forest Service for about eight years, and then... Um, Left Forest Service, and I've been with uh, USDA Wildlife Services um, since then. So, been a good ride—about 19 years now.
2: I've been, okay, I've been with USDA you've Wildlife worked Services. With a lot of different. Now, when I first met you, you were working with black bear.
3: Yeah, that was with the Forest Service. Mm-hmm. Yep, sure
2: was.
0: So, I guess uh, if you could give us uh, as a as the state director—is that the correct? Yeah, that's okay. correct. What What are some of your? I guess your day to day—you know—the uh, typical day look like for you, maybe.
3: Oh, gosh, you can vary um, depending on what comes on the phone and, uh, you know, what's going on. So a lot of times it's office work, administrative type stuff, um, but other days it's field work. Um, I'm also adjunct faculty at Mississippi State, so I may be teaching on any given day. Um, I do teach a class every other fall um, for the university. And um, then there's things like this, like the radio show um, and other events around the state. Um, so every day is a little bit different most of the time, so it's kind of fun. So we got got um, 29 employees, I think, right now um, within our state that work um, for me or indirectly for me, and um, they do a variety of things, so it's fun to work with those folks. They're real talented, very knowledgeable, um, and teach me something all the time. So um, really blessed. I've got... Um, Great job, great folks working for me, um, and just um, actually enjoy getting to do what I get to do most days.
0: Well, that's 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 beautiful. I, we were talking a little bit off um, mic, and I want to I guess go ahead and bring it up now. I guess what inspired you to get into this uh, field of work? You know, working. I guess you would, as a young girl, maybe imagine just working outside all day or something. You know, as
3: Yep. My family loved to fish. Um, we spent a lot of time in the Adirondacks in, in New York, so that was kind of what started a lot of it. But then, like a lot of kids my age, you know, it was watching Mutual of Wild Kingdom on Sunday nights, you know, before Walt Disney came on. Yeah. So, you know, you see Marlon Perkins going out there doing all this stuff. And so, you know, I, I pretty much knew I wanted to be a wildlife biologist probably around the age of four. So just kind of was lucky, one of the few people that have kind of known the career path. I just didn't know how it was going to get to there. Um, along the way, so there was a little side stint, possibly doing some music stuff along the way. So, but kind of that outside draw. I just, I have a love of being outside. So,
0: so were you one of the ones, I guess, with the boys picking up the worms and stuff like that? Oh yeah,
3: absolutely. <laughs> worms, crawfish, snakes, whatever. So, yeah, you know, the, all the creepy stuff. You know, my friends thought I was kind of odd.
0: So. Yeah. But no that's that's beautiful because look at look at you today yeah a, a no. state a state director like yep. you know <laughs> you never know I was I was you were picking up the worms and they were they were saying ooh. yeah <laughs> that's
3: right that's right
0: and uh but when uh, today we are here to um talk about a few things when um, nature gets a little bit too close for comfort how much of that is um a part of your job I guess where people can call your office if something is happening on their property or where they are with uh, with wildlife?
3: Yeah, so USDA Wildlife Services is uh, the federal agency that that um, kind of oversees wildlife conflicts, human wildlife conflicts. So we're not regulatory in any way, um, but we're kind of the federal entity that people can reach out to if they have an issue with, with a wildlife problem, um, you know, whether it's like a skunk under a house or, um, you know, we work with a lot of airports with bird issues. Um, you know, catfish farmers with fish eating bird issues, um, some disease overlap, zoonotics that, you know, where diseases can transfer between people and wildlife. You know, we, we work with a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, we do a lot of cooperative work with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife Fisheries and Parks, with the US Fish and Wildlife Service, um, Department of Ag and Commerce. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff that um goes along with it. So um you know, we we work with just about anybody that we can. Um, and try and help them. If we can't, then we try and direct them to somebody that can.
0: Okay. Well, I know, um, we're going to talk about a few, um, that we've actually had some calls here on the show. I guess, um, is it correct me? Buzzers or vultures? Because I know those are two different things, right? Yeah, from
3: from the wildlife professional community, it's vultures, but you know a lot of people. I don't know how the whole history of buzzards came around. We were talking about that last night. I stayed with with Paul and Libby last night, and that was a huge topic of conversation: is where the word buzzard <laughs> came from. So,
0: because um, if I see a, a big blackbird circling in the sky. It's interchangeable for me, right? You know, yep. it's either buzzard or a vulture. People. It's yeah. just interchangeable, yeah. and
3: and and I, you know, most of us all understand that that's what you're talking about is either the vulture or you know, a lot of people call them buzzards. You know, it's it seems to be an interchangeable word from the professional community. It's a vulture, so. If people
2: call about vultures or buzzards, we're going to know what they're talking about. We're going to know it's either a black vulture or a turkey vulture. We're not sure where the
3: name switch happened, but at some point, you know, these that, you know, were, I guess, originally referred to as, as buzzards, somehow that term changed into being used with, with what we know as vultures.
0: I guess something similar, we have a call we're about to get to is actually about snakes, uh, mm-hmm. Rowena. Um, but I guess how people think that every snake that they see is a poisonous snake, you know. So it's just people have to be uh, educated. Right. Yeah, but let's right. go ahead and go to the phone lines. Um, we have uh, Rowena from Past Christiane. And um, she has a problem with the snake under under the house. How are you doing, Rowena?
4: Oh, I'm doing fine. How are you?
0: All right. Glad. I'm, we're doing fine. Glad you called. Tell us about what's going on at your at your house.
4: Well, I was, uh, had a guy come out to do a termite inspection under my manufactured home, and he got of, most of it, I guess, done. But he came to the end where he goes in and out, where he went in and out from under the home, and he saw a snake. And he said it wasn't but about a foot and a half long. And it was kind of a brown color, but he wasn't going back under there. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm trying, I called three different exterminating places, one on the coast, two in Mobile. And one of them even advertised that they took care of snakes. Well, when I called them, they said, no, we don't do that. So I I went, someone else had suggested, or the termite man suggested, I go get some stuff called Snake Away. And uh, on the bottle, it says to put it around the perimeter of the house, outside the skirting and everything. And the smell is supposed to run the snakes off. Um, but I was wanting to try to find a way that they that it could be blown underneath the house so that it would, it would also discourage snakes from even coming back there. Okay. And the other thing is, under the house, they had thrown some siding when they put the house up. And that's where the snake is. It's underneath mm-hmm. that siding. That's not. There's not a lot there. But um, my yard man said he would try. And uh, but I'm just a little afraid. i was hoping I could get somebody who's bonded and insured and stuff.
0: Okay. Well, mm-hmm. let me uh, let me uh, thank you for calling, Rowena. Let me uh, pass this question uh, to you, Chris. Where does it, I guess? Go to um a problem like Rowena, where she has a snake under her house and it goes from I guess maybe an exterminator person or a local uh, animal control or comes you know comes to you guys
3: yeah she and she went to you know what we most people would have started with um, and she's done you know a lot of what people would do The one thing about a lot of those products though is is that um, they don't necessarily work with the biology of a snake you know snakes don't have necessarily the greatest sense of, of smell so you know, that's how a lot of those products work you know, supposedly is with a smell factor and that's not necessarily um, you know snakes a lot of times are a little more chemosensory to some degree um, so those products I don't know that they necessarily work real well um, the other thing is if she can get the siding out from under the house that's you know that's just perfect snake habitat is is that kind of stuff And and not knowing what species we're dealing with as far as a snake it may be um, venomous, it may not be. Um, uh, it's probably not gonna stay under there forever. You know, that they're gonna move around. they've got to feed. So um, she um, first thing would be to get that siding out from under the house so that they don't have that cover under there. And then the next thing if it you know, if it still appears to be there, um, she's free to call our state office at area code six six two three two five three zero one four and we can get her in touch with one of our folks you know down that way i think she was calling from past Christiane. we've got a couple of folks down that way so,
0: yeah
2: you know did they, you get that rowena? yeah that's a good number to keep
0: yeah did you get that uh number rowena is she still there
4: yes i'm here
3: okay oh, good yeah you can uh, call that that number and then um give um, it to her um, one our, more time chris six six two three
4: two five oh. three zero wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I didn't uh I didn't have a piece of
0: paper to okay. write. That okay, well that. we'll get it we'll get it to you um off air, Rowena. We're gonna go ahead and take our first break for the hour. But um that is one of our one of my I guess big concerns, Chris, is where does it go from I guess like I say the uh, you calling a personal exterminator go to the local animal control or does it come to you know you guys at the USDA because if it's one snake or if it's a nest of snakes or you know right uh, yeah <laughs> yeah but we'll go ahead and take our first break for the hour um give us a call if you have any questions or comments one eight seven seven MPB ring that's one 672 7464 or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts, and we'll be right back.
1: Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio.
0: And we're back. This is Creature Comforts here on MPB Think Radio. We have uh, in the studio today Libby Hartfield, Retired Director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Also our friend Chris Godwin, State Director of the U.S. Department of Agriculture Wildlife Services. And if you miss any of today's program, you can always listen to the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast using any podcast app or listen via the MPB public media app also you can listen to us online, mpbonline.org. We have a bank full of calls, so I will hold my questions close to the chest and we will go to Brenda in Poplarville. Good morning, Brenda. How are you doing?
1: Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you.
0: All right. Go ahead with your question.
1: Uh, comment on Rowena's call. And and by the way, I have a chicken named Rowena, and I love the name. (laughs) Uh, But I did want to comment that most snakes are not poisonous. It is not, uh, it's very unlikely the snake is doing any real harm under her house. They are actually beneficial in that they eat rodents often. And I would also suggest that she call... Uh, wildlife and fisheries and see if they might be able to help with removing the snake and not killing it.
2: No, they, they, we, we they don't take those calls. Brenda. Yeah. I said, uh, wildlife fisheries doesn't want those calls. Yeah. They, they, they send yeah, they those they calls to me. Call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris is where okay. that goes. Yeah. Thank
1: you for letting me know that. Yeah. Um, I, I did want to comment. When I first bought my little farmhouse, there was a, a tacky room on the back that wasn't at all secure there was a chicken snake who, I believe, wintered under the steps. And as it got warmer and we remodeled, that snake was out in the yard. When we were in the yard, we built an aviary. And I swear to you, he or she would come and climb in the camellia bush and hang out all day while we work. And we spoke to him or her. And that snake was never a problem. Yes. Uh, I, I know that's an unbelievable story, but it did happen. Yeah, no, and it's, most snakes,
3: you're you're, snakes you're absolutely that. right. Yeah, most of them are not a problem at all. So it's just a matter of some people have a deadly fear of snakes, and, and it's hard for them to get over that. So, you know, like Rowena, if she's very uncomfortable knowing that particular snake's under the house. We just need to find a way to, to find a, a different habitat for, for that snake mm-hmm. to inhabit so that it's... Maybe someplace that uh, somebody wants it versus someplace that somebody doesn't want it. Yeah,
2: a lot of us would want that snake under the house. I would much rather have a snake under my house than the mice that might mm-hmm. be there if, if the snake <laughs> wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, when when they have a fear like that, it's hard to know. Uh, you can, I can't convince Rowena to just go under that house and pull out that lumber and you know take away that habitat and the snake will probably leave, but you know, I don't think she's going to feel comfortable doing that. You know how that goes, Brenda. But yeah. I appreciate you being out there taking care of snakes. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I really, really appreciate that story, Brenda, because like I say, snakes, they just need a better public relations because uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's an unfortunate thing that um, all, you know, to some people in their eyes, all snakes are poisonous. Uh, so now we're going to move on to um, our next call. We have Jim in Madison. Uh, good morning, Jim, and thank you for holding
5: good morning good morning um about a year and a half ago i began to have a problem with uh, raccoons that would come into my backyard and tear down my um hummingbird feeders um and i tried everything moving the hummingbird feeders around but i couldn't find any place in my backyard that they couldn't get to because they're pretty wily um i ended up uh, using a humane trap baited with marshmallows, which they apparently find irresistible. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> and, they love uh, them. And I took them about twenty miles away across the Big Black River and let them go. You know, is there anything wrong with the way I handled that?
2: Did you let it go close to anybody's house? Or know, <laughs> I, that's the, uh, yeah.
5: I went. I went right across the Big Black River um, on Highway 16 in a heavily wooded area. No houses around, um, right next to the Big Black River, and let them go in the woods.
3: The only thing that we worry about with with the trap and release on raccoons is the disease spread issue. Um, raccoons um, carry a variety of diseases that can infect other animals, other raccoons, um, and can transmit um, some to people. So that's the the big thing that we worry about when we start talking about moving animals around. So. Um, From that aspect, you know, we need to be a little bit careful. Um, As far as actually relocating the raccoon, that's an issue that would fall under the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fishers and Parks. They're the regulatory agency. Um, So, you know, if you continue to do those kinds of things, you might want to talk with your local um, conservation officer um, and just get some advice from from, um, their staff um, to see if there's some other options.
0: All right. Thank you for your, uh, for your call, Jim. And I guess that would be um, one of my questions. What, it how, et, I guess, ethical is um, just, can you do that with all animals on the catch and release or, you know, you have to let you let it be known that he's doing that.
3: There's a lot of controversy on a live capture and release, depending on what side of the fence you're on. Um, again, as a professional wildlife biologist, we always are concerned about moving animals from a disease perspective because we don't want to transmit stuff into naive populations. Raccoons um, are notorious for carrying distemper. Um, we have not seen rabies in raccoons in Mississippi, but um, you know they have some roundworm issues and, and things like that. So, um, you know, we're always trying to think about those kinds of things. Otherwise, we could be doing more harm than good when we start moving those animals around. So,
2: and there are some places that. Really like Natchez Trace. If they caught you releasing that raccoon on the Natchez Trace, they'd give you a ticket because oh. they don't they don't want they, they don't want your nuisance animal over <laughs> on be the a, trace. Yeah, it's yeah. just something and that they don't allow. Well, and the
3: legality of raccoons is they're you not know, considered a nuisance species in the state of Mississippi. They're a fur bearer, so there's an actual season. You know, during the the, the the legal trapping season is about the only time you can really fool with them. So you've got to know those kinds of regulatory things, you know, and that's where wildlife gets complicated is you've got to know everything's different for every species. Some are regulated by the state. Some are regulated by the feds. Some have no regulation. um, And so it's always good to try and talk to, you know, maybe a wildlife law enforcement person or somebody, you know, that that understands those things before start doing that kind of stuff.
2: And I guess that's part of, we may be hard to understand sometimes in that we tell one caller, no, don't call the Department of Wildlife about the snake because there are no hunting seasons on snakes. But with the raccoon, there's a trapping season, a legal time when you can trap raccoon. And that's why Chris said you might want to talk to your conservation officer because technically that could be considered a violation that he's trapping an animal out of season.
0: So you used to think that all you had to do was mm-hmm. get your property and pay your taxes. Now, <laughs> now you have to know about the the animals that come around your home. That's right. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, you know, you can understand how the laws got started. If you've got an animal that's giving you problems on your land, if you just pass it on to your neighbor, True. that's not always the nicest thing to do. Yeah you know but if you're putting it in the middle of somebody else i mean every piece of land belongs to somebody right so he that went to that raccoon went to somebody else's land but if it's a a large landowner who's primarily agricultural use of their land they may not mind a bit that that raccoon's over there if you started moving a lot of raccoons to their land then you might my run guess it is it they would mind yeah that probably to be an issue close <laughs> to their cornfield you know. or something like that there's yeah. all You know, and
3: in his situation with the feeders, he may have to take his feeders down for a while just to get those animals to move away. So, you know, and that's one of the things. Even I've had to do that at my house with my bird feeders is I'll get raccoons in them and I'll get squirrels in them and they get to be a hassle. And and the big thing is you've got to change the behavior because – you're feeding them, so you've got to take that food source away and force them to, to start looking somewhere
0: else. That's just else. like our um uh Jason, our director, um, was telling us a story about how he put up his bird feeder and he thought he put it away from where the squirrels could get to it, but the squirrels went fifteen feet in the top of the tree and jumped down and got all the, the goodies out of the out of the bird feeder. Let's go back to the phones. We have um another gym, Jim in Vicksburg and this is a, a topic I've been hearing so much about uh, wasting disease. How you doing this morning, Jim?
5: Hey, I'm
6: doing fine.
0: Thank you for uh, your call. Tell us about what you got.
6: Okay, I attended a public meeting in Pittsburgh about the chronic wasting disease, and they had people from Wisconsin and Colorado and Arkansas who have been dealing with that problem, and all of them said that once you find an affected deer, Within five and ten miles of that you'll thirty percent of the rest of the deer will be infected too and it's real contagious and spreads fast and that's part of the problem. But it's my understanding that they've killed hundreds of deer in west central Mississippi and east Louisiana and they cannot find another single infected deer. So my question is, is anybody looking at the possibility that perhaps the original sample got contaminated in the lab or well, what do you have any explanation as to
3: how come they can't find any more deer infected? Um, well, the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks is the lead agency in looking at this chronic wasting disease situation, and they have a a, a really good plan put together. Um, and they've worked with a lot of different states um, when they put that plan together. So, the sampling effort is is part of that plan. Um, the deer that the uh, was found. Um, The genetics um, were done on that animal, and it it is a Mississippi deer, so we know it was a wild Mississippi deer. Um, And right now, um, all that sampling effort um, has been to try and figure out how that particular animal and where other animals are um, that may be infected. Now, chronic wasting disease can, you know, exist in an animal without showing symptoms for for quite a while. Um, The lab is I think gone back and or is gone back and, and done another test. I think all of that, um, you know, is, is definite positive. So I think that question has also been answered. It's not a false positive or or a mess up in the lab. So um, and that's really about all I know at this point. You know, the department is, is trying to um, look at what the next steps are. Obviously, you know, they and, and no one else wants to have to needlessly go out and, and take a lot of animals. Um, but at the same time, you know, we need to see what the health of, of the population is um, regarding this disease because once it does start spreading, um, as most other states have seen, it, it, it starts popping up pretty fast. So, you know, we have the one animal. Um, there will be others um, found it at some point. That That one animal is not the lone animal out there. Um, and from there, you know, we'll just wait and see. But the department will be, I think, really good about continuing to keep the public informed as they start taking their next steps. Um, and, you know, we'll see kind of what happens next. I think right now they're continuing the roadkill sample um, effort, um, and I think you'll see that continue um, pretty heavily, um, you know, until the hunting season rolls back around. And then um, I'm assuming that they're probably going to set up some um, voluntary check stations to start checking animals, you know, that are taken during the harvest, um, and and provide more information, you know, before the season really gets rolling.
0: I hope that answers your um, your question, Jim. I know that that wasting disease is a uh, kind of a big topic for all the um, deer enthusiasts, and um, uh, especially, you know, for those who want to consume the uh, what they what they. What yeah, they, uh, yeah. We'll hunt. have another mm-hmm. show about that. Okay.
3: before next deer season yeah. yeah and and you know the department's been real good about working with all of that so
0: all right let's go ahead and take our next break kathy i promise we'll get to you as soon as we come from uh Coming from this short break, we will continue our discussion with uh, Chris Godwin. If you have any questions, you can give us a call right now, 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Kathy, like I said, we're going to get to you all. So we're going to talk about these vultures and buzzards. So make sure you do stay tuned. This is Creature Comforts here on MPB Think Radio. And we're back. This is Creature Conference here on MPB Think Radio. I'm Java Chapman here with Libby Hartfield and Chris Godwin, State Director of the US Department of Agriculture Wildlife Services. We're talking a little bit about, I guess what we say, nuisance animals. A little bit, but um, let's go ahead and take kathy. I told you I promise you, kathy, and I, I try to keep my promises mm-hmm. that way I don't make a lot of them <laughs> uh kathy, how you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing fine, thank you. I just want to just a quick comment and say, your shows in the morning are so refreshing, such great brain food
0: well just kathy we we appreciate we appreciate you for um, oh, kathy.
3: She, uh oh! Did you? Well, she I well I activity? will I will
0: tell you I um I will Kathy I one hundred percent appreciate that and I mean I I really can't tell you how how that makes me feel this morning. But we saw um what you were going to talk about a little bit was the lime uh to deter snakes and we were talking off of air about that and I guess if I can put my consensus in mm-hmm. too uh we said that it really it's no uh, proven science to uh lime uh repelling r- repelling snakes uh according to um almighty google uh mm-hmm. lime has <laughs> never has never been shown to uh mm-hmm. repel snakes in tests also applying lime in the area to repel snakes may be hazardous uh to humans and pets because if the lime becomes damp or wet it can be uh very caustic to humans and domestic animals
2: and we can quote the local authority Terry Vandevender, who says that no lime and snake away and all those chemicals really do not deter snakes. That you can waste your time and money on using those kinds of deterrents, of uh, getting rid of habitat, being yep. sure that if you've got mice or rats in an area, you're gonna have snakes because yeah, or even bugs. That's and what stuff. they're yeah yeah. yeah. If mm. you you can have all the little garter snakes and things, but if yep. they've, they've got food and they've got habitat, they may be there. So if you break up the habitat and get rid of the food source, you can really help. Or as Brenda called and said, you can remember <laughs> that snakes are good parts of the environment and uh, they they provide us a service. They get rid of of a lot of rodents that could cause harm to our property and our food and our houses and uh, kind of get a better attitude towards living with them. But I know that's that's sometimes hard to ask people yeah, for, to do. Yeah, for for
0: some people. And if yeah. you want to um, go back and listen to that, Terry Vandervender is our resident, or uh, well, one of our resident snake uh, mm-hmm. snake guys, and he was actually our last guest on Creature Conference. And you can listen to that entire show and uh, get some more um, information on snakes and listen to the Past times he's been on the air. Uh, If you go to our website, mpbonline.org, or you can uh, subscribe to the podcast for creature comforts through um, your favorite podcast app. Now, Chris, I know we um, wanted to have you in this morning to talk, not specifically, but a little bit about... um, what were we saying vultures 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 is the correct word uh, about vultures because we've had some calls in the past about people and they uh, have congregated in spots and on people's uh, property. And, um, can you, I guess just tell us a little bit about why they do that and how people can get them away from where they don't want them.
3: Yeah, sure. So in, in Mississippi, we have two vulture species. So we have the black vulture and the turkey vulture, um, There's actually 23 species of vultures worldwide, um, with I think seven of those in the New World and two of those here in in the continental United States um, that we work with. Um, Specifically in the state, um, I'm getting a call about once a week on some kind of vulture issue somewhere. So um, a lot of it right now is cattle. Um, Black vultures in particular are um, really bad about getting on cows, giving birth to calves, um, and they'll depredate on the cow and the calf um, during that process.
0: That's the way. Slow down. So I guess a pregnant cow, a pregnant uh, cattle, right? Cow is is like a, a magnet for vultures right now.
3: It can be, yeah, because there's I think a lot of smell. Vultures, especially the turkey vulture, has the ability to smell. Most birds don't. Turkey vultures have a really great sense of smell, though. Um, and blacks not so much. Um, but they seem to hang out around these cattle pastures. And so if there's a cow that that is dropping a calf, um, they will get on that calf and kill it. Um, and they will also, you know, do a lot of damage to the cow itself. Um, and it's, it's some of the nastiest damage I've ever seen. I've I've actually seen a a couple of cases of, of this. Um, and with cattle prices haven't been really good the last few years, obviously it's a real concern to the cattle industry. So we, we work with um, a lot of cattle operators um, who are experiencing that kind of damage. Um, and then the other thing is just buildings and stuff. Um, vultures have a real affinity for rubber, and then we don't understand <laughs> what that is. But they'll take, like, the seal around your car window, mm-hmm. they'll rip that out. The windshield wipers. Or they can, I guess, let's say. yeah. It's, it's well, they like will, it happens all yeah. the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. But, they, <laughs> but they, <laughs> they, they will do it. They
2: certainly can do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, they'll, take, yeah <laughs> they'll take the windshield
3: yeah. wipers off, um, yeah. boat seats, um, Rubberized roofs on buildings, coax cable, um, just all kinds of stuff like that. Tiles um, off a roof, um, no idea why they, they like that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't know if it's just they're bored and they tear that stuff up, and it's easy for them. I have no idea. So it's we like get a lot dog of with shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, similar. Um, so They've we get a lot of that big, kind of damage. That sharp
2: beak. That's like yeah, the beak is what you've got to be really really
3: careful of. Very strong, very powerful. The feet, not so much, but the beak is is the ripping tool. Yeah. Um, and so that's the two types of damage that we generally get, is either some kind of structural damage or it's cattle. And then some people just have an innate fear of, of having them around. If you get a large roost site and they congregate in it, that guano, the defecation material, is very acidic and it's and it's very smelly. Um, and so a large roost um, over time can, can get kind of nasty from that as well.
2: And I guess then also to back up, like snakes... Vultures also perform a service. Yes, an environmental service. An environmental service. So there are reasons why you may need to deal with vultures, but there are also very good reasons why Chris is not going to tell you to go out there and... Shoot yeah, they are them or protected. With them. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're federally they're protected,
3: protected birds. So, um, you know, there's there's legalities behind what
2: you can do and what you can't do. Yeah. If when you think about all the dead things that are on the road, cars are pretty destructive. We kill a lot of wildlife, we kill a lot of feral dogs and cats on the road, and anything that has disease in its body, you want that off the road pretty quick. And these vultures are amazing in that they can they can get rid of you know, a roadkill in a pretty short order, and if it's got terrible disease in it, they wipe out that disease. They don't carry it. They can eat an animal even with rabies and... They, their body just consumes the rabies yeah, their and does away with it. Their stomach is extremely acidic, so they and don't
0: pass it on. That's one of the, I, yeah. I, you know, I guess to get all comic booky, if we could have a, mm-hmm. a superpower, you know, like a, a vulture because yeah. they can eat dead, mm-hmm. you know, dead flesh and, like you said, even diseased flesh with no problem. And yeah. you know, sometimes with the the state of the world, you know, if we could have those kind of powers, a lot of a lot of people wouldn't yeah. be hungry. You know, in,
2: in parts of Central and South America the vultures are are much more revered. And they also have a lot of problems with um, rabies in Central and South America. And vultures are a blessing to those communities because they really get rid of that disease. So I had to say something nice about Oh yeah. About well that wasn't we didn't start the question that way so <laughs> they can also We're backing be up. But when Chris hears about vultures it's because people have really lost their patience with
0: them. Yeah, it's I mean, you know, the ecosystem is a is a a fully functioning system and people, you know, sometimes uh, just want to have it their way so to speak, and, and kind of forget uh things kind of worked hand in hand. Yeah. Um and if you want you want to join the conversation, we have uh open phone lines, uh one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or like always you can send a uh, email to animals at MPB online dot org. Also oh, now when it's uh, so a congregation of um uh, vultures It's called a roost, correct? Well, there's a couple different terms for
3: vultures <laughs> that we, we, we looked up. Um, so when you have a group that's feeding, like on the road, that's called a wake. So you have a wake of vultures.
0: Okay.
2: Doesn't that make a lot of sense? And yeah. then
3: when they're in a roost, yeah, they're either like a committee, a venue, or a vault. And then if they're flying in a group, like we see, that's a kettle. A kettle? Mm-hmm.
0: So I wonder if, well, let me ask this question. Every time that I see a a group of vultures uh, in the air circling, does that necessarily mean something is dead, as in they're going to get it?
3: No. A lot of times it's just they're riding thermals, um, and it's just a way of saving energy. um, So they can just spread their wings and and just glide on those thermals. It doesn't necessarily mean there's anything dead around. Um, I think it's just a way that they um, just like to soar um, you know, or like I said, energy saving, or they may be looking or waiting for the rest of the group to, to join in. And it's a way to, to, for, you know, location finding. I guess I
0: got that from the cartoon. Every time you see some vultures circling. Right. Now they could be, it's not saying that they
3: aren't, but a lot of times (laughs) it's, it's either, um, they're running thermals, it's an energy saving thing, or it's a location thing where they're waiting for the rest of, of the group to join in or, or, you know, whatever.
2: And we call it a kettle if it's hawks doing the same thing yep. and riding those okay. thermals. So mm-hmm. that's a, but the wake, that's particular to vultures, yep. which I think is very <laughs> apropos. And I, I've I, every time I see a little group of vultures sitting in a very a small group, when you hear that, oh, there's the committee meeting.
3: That does, <laughs> kinda... And that goes back to some of the cartoonish stuff too. I think I've so. been in
2: some of those committee meetings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Now that's not a, no, that's funny. Uh, we I guess we did have a caller come through, but um, um, they had a question. I guess it was let's see, when cows lay down in fields hunting is bad i guess is this a, a, one of those myths true or not due to barometric pressure i guess if you see the cows laying down in the field it's not a a good time to hunt
3: i have no idea i've never heard that yeah that
0: is, that's kind of cryptic almost i don't i don't understand uh What's going on back there in the back? (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and take our last break for the hour. If you want to join the conversation, we have Chris Godwin here along with Libby Hartfield. Um, As I said, Dr. Troy Majors out this week, so no pet questions, but you can always send them to our um, email, animals at mpbonline.org. And if you want to join the conversation this morning, 1-877-MPB-RING, that's 1-877-672-7464. 1-877-672-7464. We'll be back to finish up the program after this.
1: An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio.
0: And we're back. to Future Conference here on MPB Think Radio. I'm Java Chapman and we have Chris Godwin, State Director of the Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Wildlife Services here with us. Also, if you missed any part of today's program, you can always listen back on the podcast, uh, mpbonline.org, or you can subscribe to the podcast using any podcast app. Or if you have not downloaded, you can download it now, our MPB Public Media app. Now, off mic, uh, we always have great conversations, and we were talking about the removal of these vultures. If they're on your property and this, you know, it's kind of causing you a problem, what are, um, I guess, points of action?
3: All right, so vultures can be harassed. Um, you don't need a permit for that unless you're using a tool within the city limits like firecrackers or something like that, and then you're going to have to get a permit from your city city depending on the ordinances and stuff. They are protected by the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, so that's that's federal protection. So you cannot harm or injure, or lethally take those birds without a federal depredation permit. Um, to you know, vultures, a lot of times it's like trying to kick you out of your house. You know, they're that affiliated with a roof site or an area that they're using. So it, it's going to take a lot of effort to get those birds to move. Um, it's going to take constant harassment, um, of some kind. And, and I'm not talking a couple days, I'm talking weeks. You can't let them rest in an area, um, and let them get to feel comfortable. You've got to, you've got to keep at it.
0: So if you throw the firecrackers out there and just say they fly away, they're coming back. They're
3: going to come back. Like I said, you'd come back to your house, wouldn't you? If somebody tried to do that to <laughs> you, um, it's that same kind of mentality. So, um, but when we start having to do any kind of lethal control, Um, That takes a federal depredation permit from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So and and when we get to that point, we'll work with individuals or businesses or other entities, you know, to to try and and go down that path.
0: Before we get to the calls, Jim and Jackson, you're coming up next. But um, how often do you see, I guess, vulture roosts or committees um, wakes in urban areas or is this strictly a rural Type of.
3: Actually, more often than not, it seems anymore. I mean, a lot of our structural issues and roosting issues tend to see, um, I think they're coming more from city type areas and and um, residential areas. And I don't have a, a, a reason for that. Maybe it's just because they're more noticeable and, and more people around that we start getting those versus being out in the country. Um, but it's not uncommon by any means.
0: Okay. Uh, Jim in Jackson, thank you for calling this morning. What's your question?
5: My question are the vultures or buzzards? Are they territorial, or do they travel a number of miles, or do they can they integrate with another group, or they just stick with their own group?
3: We don't really know. That's some research that's going on right now. Um, there's a couple different projects around the country where um, vultures are actually wearing some radio backpacks and stuff to see kind of um, how to answer that question because that's one of the questions we don't really know. Um, so I don't really have a good answer for you on that right now.
2: Interestingly enough, though, that this they are one one of the um, species of birds that have very high fidelity in mating. Yeah, they mate for life. They they really at least do the blacks for do. life. Yeah. yeah.
3: So, but as far as the movement stuff, that's something that that um, is actually being researched now.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for that uh, for that question, Jim. Let's go next to uh, what's this? Roger in Florence. Um, Roger good morning and what's your question
6: Well for years and I guess because my dad did it uh, I thought that I could answer an owl and the owl would answer back and mm-hmm. I know I can make a few bird sounds and sometimes I think I'm communicating with a mockingbird but but I'm wondering I don't want to discourage anybody from trying that and so maybe uh, uh, an encouraging response would be best for nature but i just really wonder if that's if that ever works i had a grand one of my grandmothers had a uh, one of her one of her two husbands had a, a a blue jay that they captured somehow and that blue jay would sit on his shoulder while he played the piano and, and nod his head and all that was at mm-hmm. least that's the legend so anyway communication with that with birds is is this topic and uh can you really do that and i 've tried, and I swear I think the owls will come closer and uh, you know and, and hoot back so well, thank you
2: for yeah. Your, yeah thank you for your call uh, roger there 's been a good bit of research on communicating with birds through sound and uh some bird species really have fairly complicated languages and there are some researchers that are beginning to crack some of that uh most birds have alarm calls and mating songs and you know at least those two types of sounds we actually and, and use distress calls yeah.
3: with certain species to help move birds away so that's actually one of the non-lethal tools that we use with with gulls in particular mm-hmm. you can play a distress call yeah and that'll disperse those birds they recognize that as, as a danger sign so do yeah.
0: vultures have a, a vultures
3: don't vocalize real well okay. they, they basically either hiss or grunt so they don't have <laughs> a song um that you know they sing know. or anything like that. So. A vulture song. He like-
2: particularly <laughs> mentioned owls, and yes, Yeah, you can, can have hoot yes. owls
3: and they will come. It's like gobbling to yeah. turkeys, you know, this time of year. That's why mm-hmm. turkey calls are so popular. Part of
2: the deal, owls are very territorial, and yeah. so if you give a, a an owl call and you're within another owl's territory that owl is going to come down and investigate they're going to come they want to eyeball you and see you and right now they have chicks and and nests
3: and so they are mm -hmm. extremely territorial so So they will right now answer quite a bit well that goes to
0: our um our our next call mike in uh in carrier uh good morning mike what's your question
6: Uh, how y'all doing thanks for being on the phone um um i have a i have a little piece of land in carrier and um I have an owl. I mean, he's big. He looks like a German shepherd with wings sometimes. Um, and he, I see him in, around the property and stuff, and he flies around, and, and nothing gets, bothers him. And then I don't see him for like, uh, like maybe five, six months, and then I see him again. I was just wondering, is he territorial? Does he go by the food source? Or, or what is – does he migrate? I'm just curious why he moves like that.
2: Okay. First off, that's probably a great horned owl. Yeah, that's my guess, too, if he's
3: that big. And and this time of year right now, like I said uh, earlier, um, a lot of owls have chicks. Um, They nest very early in the year. They're one of the earliest nesting species in the state next to the eagles. So um, they may be feeding, and then after that, you know, those birds are all dispersing out, and that's when their territory is probably going to expand. So... They probably have, a. my guess is a, a nesting area that they traditionally use around your property every year, and then outside of that, you know, they've expanded their range to hunt other areas and um, get those chicks up and moving and kicked out of the nest.
2: And during other times of the year, they are not as vocal, so you may not, they may be there and you're just not aware that he's there in that habitat, in that territory.
0: Thanks for your call, Mike. Um, Do you get calls about owls as being, quote, like nuisance? Yeah,
3: actually, I had um, several years ago um, a a homeowner behind my own house that had um, teacup poodles, and the owls, um, she was afraid they were going to predate on her poodles. And so I actually had worked with the city police department to get her set up with some pyrotechnics to fire off to keep... When she would let them outside, she could fire those pyrotechnics off um, to keep the owls away from her yard, away from the poodles.
0: I had one where it was a a long-haired chihuahua, and and an owl swooped down and and scared her half to death. Before we get out here, Chris, if people need to get in touch with you and your office, how could they do so?
3: Um, They can call our office. Um, uh, It's on the campus of Mississippi State at area code 662-325-3014. Um, and we'll work with them any way we can.
0: And if they want to use almighty Google. They, could they can use-, <laughs> use
3: almighty Google. Just be careful. You know your truth check stuff. Um, you know how the Internet is. So Yeah.
0: Well, we thank you for coming in this morning, uh, Chris. And uh, Creature Comforts is a production of... Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded and provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating over 20 years of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife. If you want to listen back to this show or previous shows, visit mpbonline.org slash comforts. Today's board operator was Michelle McAdoo, and our call screener was Liz Gill. For Libby Hartfield, I'm Java Chapman, and want to say thank you once again to our guest, Chris Godwin. Up next is... Our Thursday 10 o'clock show, MPB Season Pass with Jay White. Also, tune in next Thursday, also this Saturday, 6 a.m., for Creature Conference, only on MPB Think Radio.